welcome to the latest episode of the ORX Operational Risk Podcast. I'm Matthew Glenister, Head of Risk Management at ORX. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Natasha Smith-Craig, Assistant Research Manager for the Risk Management Programme. Hi, Matt. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we'll summarise the outcome of recent sessions hosted by ORX, which explored the Operational Risk Management Control Framework. All sources used in this episode will be added to the show notes. ORX members regularly share that improving their control framework is becoming increasingly important for enhancing the management of operational risk. The significance of having an effective and efficient control framework, and the impacts of either poorly designed or insufficiently implemented controls, is shown in stories from ORX News. In these events, control-related failures have either been the direct cause of an operational risk loss event, or have significantly exacerbated an event's impacts. It was in this context that ORX held a session on controls for members in September last year via the Risk Management Working Group. Very briefly, to let listeners know, the Risk Management Working Group at ORX has over 220 participants from 92 member financial firms. The Working Group is open to senior operational risk professionals in the second line of defence who are responsible for developing and deploying operational risk management frameworks and methodologies. Working group participants attend regular online meetings and engage in discussions to collaborate and develop solutions and drive change at an industry level. So, back to the control framework. Data for this short study on controls was collected via risk management working group discussions and through polls. This study covered four key elements relating to the operational risk management control framework, which were controls, documentation, categorization, capture and review and testing. Thanks, Natasha. So let's kick off our review by talking about how our members are describing and documenting their controls. During the session, just over 60% of our participant members stated that the process and responsibility for drafting control types and descriptions is shared between the first and second lines of defence. Whereas in just over a third of firms, the first line actually hold full responsibility for the control writing process. Overall, Controls are created at various levels in organisations by different stakeholders to ensure that there's appropriate granularity for the environment where the control will operate. We observe the practices vary across firms, with some implementing multi-level control libraries, whereas others define controls on a business line or a local level. When lower level, more granular controls are created, this is typically done relying on the expertise of the individuals executing the controls on a day-to-day basis. One key point that was highlighted is that there's a need to balance granularity with aggregation requirements and to also ensure that this is done consistently across the firm when creating controls. Our members discussed a proposed hybrid approach for doing this. In this approach, the control must be selected by the first line of defence from a control library, but then the control owner can subsequently write their own description relevant to the local environment complementing the pre-existing description in the control library. Members highlighted how this is a strong example of the first and second line sharing the responsibility for the process of drafting controls, with the second line of defence providing guidance and assisting the first line with creating controls. In addition, to further ensure consistency and quality of controls, risk functions are endeavouring to look across existing risk and control linkages that may have been identified during the risk and control self-assessment exercises, otherwise known as RCSAs, to ensure that these are appropriate. 
Some firms also use the five W's and one how exercise to challenge their existing controls. And did artificial intelligence come up in these discussions? Yes, they did. So some firms also discussed leveraging AI, specifically natural language processing, to ensure that they had consistency and quality, and also in some cases to help run those five W's exercises I mentioned earlier. However, it's important to stress that this was only in a very small number of firms, and challenges still remain, such as, for example, when using AI tools within large data sets to identify and articulate controls appropriately. Great, thank you, Matt. Moving on now to how members categorise their controls and what attributes these controls have. Across the ORX membership, manual controls remain the most widespread control type. Semi-automated and automated controls are becoming increasingly more common as firms progress in their automation journeys. An example of this being firms starting to leverage automation solutions such as AI. In terms of recording and capture of controls, overall, controls are captured at a variety of levels within two-thirds of firms. This combines the practical benefits of recording controls at an appropriate granularity for that control type, but also at a level that supports aggregation for reporting. Capturing controls on many different levels also helps firms ensure that material risks associated with key business priorities are sufficiently covered by controls. During discussions, members shared other factors that drive the level at which controls are recorded, which include the related risk type, assessment of inherent likelihood and impacts of the related risk, the control operation level, for example, is it operating locally or firm-wide, the risk culture and attitudes to risk within the firm, the control owner, business requirements, and the efficiency of capture. Controls are also captured on a process level only in nearly 20% of firms. Members said that capturing controls on an end-to-end process level gives a more holistic view of the risks and controls involved. This is especially crucial for key business services such as IT. And last but not least, the review and testing of controls. In 70% of member firms, control review is owned and conducted primarily by the control owners. Controls are then subsequently reviewed by the second line of defence, internal audit and external audit, in either a diminishing quantity or frequency, or perhaps on a sample basis. From discussions, there is a shift towards active risk management by assessing risks and controls on an end-to-end process level. Firms highlighted that running assessments of controls on a process level can provide an integrated and comprehensive picture of the firm's overall risk and control framework. More on this topic next time. In terms of what's driving the frequency of control testing, there are three main drivers. Firstly, policy or regulatory requirements. Next, the controls operating frequency. And lastly, control testing in response to triggers. Additional factors that determine the frequency of control testing included the gross or inherent associated risk, whether the control is a key control, and the maturity or effectiveness of the existing risk and control environment. Here, there was particular consideration of changes to material processes or changes to staff numbers and structure. Staffing levels and availability of resources also remains a perennial issue that firms must overcome to ensure regular and effective control testing. Thanks, Natasha. A further point that came out of these discussions was how valuable external data sources are for firms to help inform the design of their control library and controls guidance. With that in mind, 
ORX has a suite of standards and libraries which provide consistent, high-quality datasets that firms can leverage to meet consistency and quality objectives. We developed these libraries working with the support of over 50 of our members and with our knowledge partners such as consultants and professional services firms. Our standards include a reference risk taxonomy, which covers risk event types, causes and impacts. And we've also developed over the last two years, a library of reference controls and a library of risk indicators. Firms can use these resources as benchmarking tools and also to gain insights about peers' controls against specific risks. ORX's controls library is an industry-first framework of the typical controls used by financial firms to mitigate key operational non-financial risks. In 2024, ORX will continue developing its standards by producing a reference business process and services library. You can stay up to date with this work via our website. The discussion on controls in September showed the membership's interest in discussing other elements of the risk and control framework. ORX also ran two sessions on RCSAs. To hear the outcome of these sessions, check out our blog piece, Three Key Areas to Improve Your RCSAs. Looking ahead into the year, we're excited to launch the Risk Management Programme for 2024, with upcoming work streams including a focus on risk assessment, work on third-party resilience, and the launch of the Risk Management Resources Explorer, a one-stop shop for resources, as well as collaboration with other ORX communities. If you would like to join the Risk Management Working Group at ORX and get involved in any of these areas, please get in touch with either myself or Matt. For more information on the Risk Management Working Group, such as summary notes of last year's meetings, please head to the ORX website and look for Working Groups under Communities, Projects and Events. Thanks for listening. You can find more ORX podcasts on your favourite streaming platform. Simply search for the ORX Operational Risk Podcast to find us And don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. We hope you're having a great start to 2024 and we're looking forward to you joining us again soon.